I've had my rose-tinted glasses on this week. It's difficult not to right now. It's just way too tempting at this time to just look back on your past and yearn for it all to come back. But I have to remember that actually, no matter how rose-tinted those memories appear, I need to remember how utterly miserable I was for most of it. It sounds like a cliche to say, but it really is only in the last few months, since starting this show and exercising my creative muscles, that I feel like I've properly started living. So chuck away those glasses. They don't work and they look shite on you. Get hungry like the wolf and pursue your future, because it is on the way. Welcome to Ollie's World. day has finally arrived for me to enter my bunker. Specially built in my manor's vast wine cellar to accommodate me until this deadly plague has been washed from our shores. Yes, no one in Britain is at more at risk than me. An 89-year-old man who lives such a varied and exciting life, coming into contact with so many members of the proletariat on a daily basis. This virus lives everywhere among the commoners. It's out to get me. I can see it. I can see it move towards me every time I go out. It targets those who least deserve it after all. I mean, what have I ever done to deserve such a threat against my life? So there was nothing else I could do, nothing else but to quarantine myself in this bunker, built by my staff to match the same interior dimensions as the bomb shelter I sat in as a little boy during the Blitz, until it is once again safe for me to venture out and interact with my beloved community. I will be entirely alone in my bunker, undisturbed, just the way I like it. Of course, my maid Lucinda will still attend on me, bringing meals and tea to me, though I have taken every precaution and made her purchase full protective equipment. Airtight gloves and masks, not once, not twice, but thrice layered to fend off any rogue germ cells my maid may be carrying. She will also be covered head to toe in hazmat gear, and most importantly, is to sound the air raid siren across my grounds should it look like Britain is about to fall to the enemy, to alert my help to take up arms and begin an emergency private military operation, defending the manor and, as a last resort, the very door to my bunker. I will make sure that if I do perish, it will only be because I am the last man standing. I've always said that if I go, I'm taking you all with me. <laughs> and yes, yes, I do believe that my help will defend this estate in its time of crisis. I expect them to carry on with their regular duties, whatever happens. 
and then take up arms should the worst arise. If even a single one of them fails to do this, I have ensured to draft a contract, legally binding, which states I may shoot a deserter with my blunderbuss, and then fire the rest of the staff for allowing disloyalty in the ranks. There's nothing else I can do, there's no other way of doing this. And really, all of my staff should see it as an honour and a privilege to fight and possibly die for me. To lay down their lives in service to the man who, let's not forget, benevolently provides them with wages, food and board. Surely that's worth fighting for, hmm? Now, you'll excuse me, I must be away to my new abode for the foreseeable future. I say goodbye to the world, and since Lucinda installed some of my lady's clothing collection, I can say hello to some absolutely scrumptious dresses, oh yes. Oh Lucinda, could you please close the door behind me? Hey, legless egg, wearing sunglasses, not dissimilar to my own, welcomed me to a lovely, sweet dream realm, where my Half-brother, Roger, inhabits a lovely three-bedroom condo above a disembodied head called Mr. Staircase. The egg guided me to the condo personally, and upon arrival, Mr. Staircase was very happy to see me. He said he was a, a big fan of my music. In particular, the album Taking Tiger Mountain by Blythe Incompetence. He said he likes to stick it on, take a tab, and just be transported to another plane of reality. I told him that that's how I had intended it to be listened, and thanked him for being a fan. But despite how pleased he was to see me, I could tell Mr. Staircase was very sad. The egg too, and in fact all the inhabitants of the once great, lovely, sweet dream world, because here all sound is dying, fading into non-existence. Sound is the lifeblood of the beings here, the essence of every single living thing. Without a new source of sound, this whole realm will surely perish, and with it every single spiritual vision one can experience on Earth too. I cannot allow this to happen. For me, for Roger, 
for everyone in this realm and that one. So it falls to the brothers' honor to create these new, never-before-heard sounds to save the lovely, sweet dream and potentially make a tidy pay packet with a commercial album release back home too. I only have so much altruism in me after all. In order to access Roger's house, I had to get Mr. Staircase to open up a little, literally, because the stairs up to the condo were inside Mr. Staircase's mouth, and one has to climb inside to reach them. It's a confusing design choice, granted, but Roger had never once been burgled, so there's at least one practical reason for it. There hasn't been much to laugh about in either our world or the lovely sweet dream recently, but I knew at least one image that could get a giggle out of poor old Mr. Staircase. So I told him about my journey across the heaths three weeks ago, wading through the marshland in my soiled garments. The <laughs> exclement bouncing around in my pants as I waddled for miles upon miles. That got him guffawing, but it was the egg's interjection that really got him laughing with an open wide mouth. For the egg said it was the droppings of a little dog I had been carrying in my pantaloons that day. The egg knew. He knew it was the dog and not the man. He had been watching me all this time. And it was then I realized that this legless egg has knowledge of interdimensional space far beyond human comprehension. And he also has impeccable comic timing because his little quip got Mr. Staircase's mouth wide open for more than long enough to pop inside. Once in, I climbed up a glass staircase in the middle of a cavernous hall with a seemingly bottomless void below. I really think Roger should consider installing a handrail at the very least. Anyway, I reached the top without plummeting to my doom and rang the doorbell. Roger! Oh, how wonderful it was to see my dear brother again. A near-identical figure to myself. Except Roger permanently appears covered in a red, purple, orange, blue, pink pattern full of indescribable imagery shimmering in place. The skin of a machine elf that haunts man's nightmares and causes Roger and his fellow machine elves to be ostracized even from the lovely sweet dream society. It is an injustice, but it allows Roger to focus on creating 
incredible Sonic Dreams fizz. And let's face it, being isolated like Roger is a very good thing right now. So Roger led me into his state-of-the-art recording studio, put on a brew of some mind-enhancing substance, and we got down to work, creating, dream-weaving, visionating. Connor Wankworth, at your service. I'm the self-published debonair, street poet extraordinaire. I cast my caustic gaze at moments of social serendipity, right down on street level, where my feet hit the concrete to a Craig Charles-induced beat. It's raw, it's vibrant, it's street culture written into wet cement for forever to see and vibe with. If you get what I'm saying. But you might not, since it's quite culturally advanced. Some of you might not quite understand it, but that's okay. This is what's called accessibility in the arts. You're welcome. Let me hit you with a brand new riff, never performed before. I've only done it in front of my mother, and she loved it. So prepare your eyebrows to be raised very shortly. It's about my girlfriend. Did I mention I have a girlfriend? Well, I have a girlfriend. It's very important that you're aware I have a girlfriend. Because the poem won't work unless you know I have a girlfriend. I have a girlfriend. Her name. Her name. What's in a name? A rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. I read that in a Vice article once. So I thought I should start my poem with that. Wear your influences on your sleeve. Anastasia. 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 There's so much to unpack here. Anna. The futuristic renaissance sound of a forgotten civilization. Stacy. The mum with so much going on, in perpetual search for her Central African dream. Ah. Uh, the beginning. The end. The alpha and omega of my world and your words. That's a lot for one woman to carry on her atlas-sized, yet still slender and petite shoulders. And then there's still more to consider. The family name. Her capulet to my Montague, even though my actual surname is Wentworth. Belle. 
Bell. Bell. Yet more to unpack. Bell represents her purity. The purity of the morning chimes of life-sworn monks. The purity of seven sinless swans swimming majestically up a fairy tale castle's royal stream. Purity in its purest form. That sounds like quite a lot of purity, doesn't it? Yet Anastasia is no saint. She is a dangerous demoiselle. Tattoos? She's got them. Leather jacket? Can't be seen without one. Fringe haircut? It's what I first noticed about her. So there's nothing in a name, really. But also, everything. And the name that I adore the most is hers. Anastasia Bell. 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 In battle, my fighting spirit is usually spurred on by the roar of the fans. Last weekend, though, I had only the noise of one fan. The very loud and obnoxious ceiling fan above the cage for my first professional fight in an empty arena. And I would like to blame that rotating dirtbag for what happened that night. You see, I was totally, completely, 100% focused and on my game as usual that night. Dan First doesn't do things by half. And that includes the shot of whiskey I necked in my dressing room five minutes before my walkout. Dutch courage is very important in mixed martial arts. You need to be loose, buzzed up, ready to improvise in the blink of an eye or the flight of a fist. I got the knock on the door and was ready to march to the ring in a Gracie train with my young disciples. And if you don't know what a Gracie train is, uh, you're an uncultured, undisciplined loser. But I'll tell you anyway, we go in single file, everyone's hands on the shoulders of a fighter in front, and march head down in reverence to the war about to take place. It's intimidating as hell to be a opponent, and a major part of my pre-fight ritual. So it was a major metaphorical blow to me when the arena staff told us that we couldn't do our greasy train because of, get this, social distancing. We didn't work for a rigorous, physically grueling, six-week training camp in a production studio creating and choreographing the most impressive ring entrance of the year, only to be told we couldn't go through with it when the time came. We were all outraged. Well, except for Robbie, because he lives with his elderly grandfather, which I guess is fair enough. I asked if the rest of us could do it anyway, but 
The staff lady was a stubborn old job's worth. So I had to walk to the ring with my team, my disciples, all two meters away from me. It was a ridiculous sight. And it psyched me out, man. Between that and the worrying ceiling fan, I was majorly messed up before the fight even began. Plus, when the cage door closed behind me, only then did I realize that I had forgotten to wear my lucky underwear. Stitched by Master Yusei himself over 50 years ago. Worn by all of his past top students. Passed down through the generations of Gidokin. And finally, bestowed to me. It is a mark of great honor. A symbol of Gidokin mastery. And I've never fought without wearing them. So understandably, I was quite flustered when the ref pulled me and my Brazilian opponent, definitely on steroids by the way, ref pulled us in, read us our rules, defend yourselves at all times, touch gloves, yada yada yada, I tuned out and I couldn't hear him above the noise of a ceiling fan anyway. I was hyper-focused on one thing, and one thing only, because I was so messed up mentally and didn't get to do my big entrance, I decided I didn't really want to bother with this fight. I was going to end it in one motion and either knock out the roid monster or leave myself open to get munched. Either way, I would be out of here and chilling at home with my paycheck in a couple of hours. Doesn't bother me. I once spent three weeks in a hospital after a stunt in one of my overambitious entrances went very wrong. It's all chill with me. So the moment the ref started the fight, I ran full pelt at the Roid Rage and unleashed a devastating Tumbramaka! Or is that a coffee? Whatever I did, it was awesome. Only problem was that I slightly misjudged the angle of my deadly kick. So instead of planting the guy on the chin, I drove my foot right into his testicles. Now, I never intend to send my opponents to the hospital, but especially not if the last sound I hear before the ambulance door is shut is, we're gonna have to sew them back on. I got disqualified, obviously. But as Master Yusei always says, if you do not lose, you win. I don't think my opponent would agree with that, but in this instance, considering I still have the full set of equipment down there, I'll defer to Master Yusei on the matter, and declare... Dan first, win. On the subject of avoiding rose-tinted glasses, and instead working towards the dream, I've dredged up an old Bill Burr quote about pursuing the dream of being a comedian, which is constantly ringing in my ears right now. I feel like it'd make a good end to the episode. See what you think. You have to do in life what makes you happy. If you try to make other people happy, that's all you're gonna do. And then you're not gonna be happy. And then you're gonna be miserable to be around. You've just gotta commit to this shit and realize that sleeping on a futon when you're 30 is not the worst thing. You know what's worse than sleeping on a futon at 30? Sleeping in a king bed, next to a woman you're not really in love with, but for some reason married. And you've got a couple of kids, and you've got a job you fucking hate. You'll be laying there fantasizing about fucking sleeping on the futon. There's no risk when you go after a dream. It's all fucking reward. 
it's going to lead to something good. It always does.